again, we come before you at this time to, to ask that you speak to us right now with the words we're about to read, with the words we're about to hear. Um, give us the wisdom to, to understand it, and may those seeds be implanted deep within our hearts. Lord, we're going to be given a glimpse of, of who Jesus is in his true glory, in his true form. And we look forward again just to the day that we're able to come before him to embrace our Lord and Savior, to embrace Jesus who died for us. Lord, speak to us right now. May we just forget about everything that's going on outside these walls and just pour your Holy Spirit here. Fill us. Help us understand you more. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned before how, uh, as a kid, one of the things I, I enjoyed was, you know, some of these cartoons, uh, some of these superheroes that had the power to transform themselves. Snap of a finger. You know, I remember uh, I talked before about Superman, Batman. Um, Another cartoon I enjoyed watching was He-Man. You know, him raising that sword, you know, by the power of Grey Skull, and you know, it was a uh, and automatically he transformed. And only people that knew was his, was the lion or the what the name of the name of the lion was it uh, that green the green tiger I think it was called. It was, uh, but he was the only one knew. Orko Battle knew, Cat. huh? Battle Cat. Battle Cat, yeah. Um, but you know, these cartoons about, you know, these superheroes or these people transforming from regular people into something more stronger, more powerful, uh, that always affected me. And I was like, you know, I looked up to that. That was pretty neat. Um, in our story today, we're going to be looking at another amazing transformation. And I called it, I titled it the most shocking transformation ever. Um, and it's a transformation unlike no other. We've known people, we've seen people whose lives have been transformed because of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Um, they're no longer the same person they once were, and now they've been transformed from, from within, and now they're outwardly, they're just a new person. Well, here again, we're going to be reading about a story where Jesus Christ transforms. And what we're going to see is that he transforms transforms into the full glory of who he is and who we're going to see him to be when we're face to face with him. Our passage this morning consists of, of, consists of Jesus, his promise, his glory, our hope, our future. We'll see how Jesus Christ kept his promise to his disciples and how we will keep and how he will keep his promises to us. We will see how the disciples got a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ and how he will keep his, I'm sorry, and how we, we too will see him one day in, this, in that same glory. We'll see how those promises gives us hope. And we'll see how the promise of being in his presence gives us an unshakable hope of a future home with God. The main point of today's message is this. 
as God's one and only son, Jesus has the authority to speak on God's behalf, to speak on his father's behalf. There is no one more superior to him. And as a result, we ought to listen to him. So if you're not there in your Bibles, um, it's in the Bibles in front of you is going to be page 557, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. And we're going to be beginning, we're going to be beginning there, um, and we're going to be going all the way to verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 13. So, uh, so let me, uh, I'll get into the word, and like I usually do, I'll break it down. Mark chapter 9 starting in verse 1. Then he said to them, I assure you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transformed in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what he should say since, he was, since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Then suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with him except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Then he began to question him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first and restores everything, he replied. How then is it written about the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah really has come and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it was written about him. Verse picks up right where chapter, chapter 8, verse 38 left off. This here, verse 1, is Jesus' concluding statement regarding the passage we looked at last week. It was put in this particular spot in the beginning of chapter 9 in order to assist the, re the reader easily understand what was about to happen. It was put there so that so it'll be a good transition for the things that we're about to see, for the things we're about to look at. There, in that first verse, Jesus says, I assure you. This phrase used, by Je used only by Jesus is to testify the certainty and the importance of his words. It would be like me telling you, let me be clear, or I give you my word. So again, in, in essence, what Jesus was saying was, hey, just listen to what I'm about to tell you. Let me be clear. Let me, I'm going to give you my word. Then he proceeds to tell them, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Jesus here wasn't talking about an earthly kingdom. He also wasn't talking about the end of days. He wasn't talking about the, the last days on earth 
when things were just going to get where thing, when things were going to get bad. Jesus was talking about a glimpse about the power and glory of God's kingdom. As we continue in verse 2 and 3, you know, we see that the, that the disciples, I'm sure, were on the edge of their seats. They were on the edge of their seats waiting for this to happen, waiting to see what Jesus was talking about when he said that some will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Then day one passes and nothing. Then day two passes and nothing. Then three and four passes and still nothing. Maybe after the fifth day of not seeing anything spectacular, they lost that sense of anticipation and allowed themselves to go back to business as usual. Now, yeah, it appears this way also on the sixth day when Jesus decides to take Peter, James, and John up to a mountain and spend time with them to pray. Now, this, this wouldn't have been out of the ordinary. This wouldn't have been shocking. This wouldn't have been any different. However, what happened was, what happened next was definitely extraordinary. It was definitely different out of the ordinary. In Luke's gospel, Luke's, Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus, at this particular moment, was praying. And as he was praying, he was transformed in front of these three disciples. In other translations of the same verse, it says that he was transfigured. Now, in the original Greek language, in the original Greek, this word for transfigured, this word for transformation, is similar to the English word metamorphosis. Now, you probably learned that in science class. You probably learned about metamorphosis in science class in your schools and were explained how a caterpillar, for instance, goes through the same process of metamorphosis in its cocoon before turning into a butterfly. This is essentially what happened to Jesus. Mark tells us, Mark here tells us that his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Now, I've heard it said that uh, that clear is, is the perfection of white, you know, that um, but this, what we're talking about is a color here that's so white that even the whitest of white that you can possibly imagine, it was whiter than that. It was dazzling, like a dazzling white. Now Matthew, in Matthew's account, it says that Jesus' face shone like the sun. That is, Jesus' face was so bright that it was hard to look at. If you ever tried looking at the sun, you know what I'm talking about. That's how bright it was. What Peter, James, and John were witnessing was a miraculous display of the full glory of Jesus Christ as king over God's kingdom. See what I'm saying? What they were, what they were seeing was the full glory of Jesus as he's going to appear in God's kingdom. And this, was, this wasn't just a figment of their, of their imagination. This was, this was like, this was right in front of them. This would be as if me looking at you or you looking at me and I can just reach out and touch you and have a conversation. It was as real as that. 
and he transformed right in front of them. What an, am what an amazing picture. What an amazing sight to see Jesus be transformed in such a way. There will come a day. There will come a day, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when we too will see Jesus Christ in the fullness of his glory. Whether it happens after we breathe our last breath, or whether it's when we breathe our last breath on this earth, or when the heavenly trumpet blows and every believer is taken up in the rapture. Our hope and our faith lies in the fact that whichever it is, we will one day be in the presence of God's glory. However, and this is a big however, before we get there, the Bible tells us that we will also go through a transformation process. If you're a believer today, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you also are going through a transformation process. And that transformation process is a continual process. I talked about it before. Uh, we, you know, some call it the sanctification process. But we're going through a spiritual renewal. While we're here alive, while we're alive, we're going through a spiritual transformation. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And in Ephesians 4.23, it says, you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. And guess what? That's happening while we're alive, while you're alive. And when you die or raptured, we will also go through a physical transformation. I want to read to you something that, that uh, what it, what, something I read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that talks about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, starting in verse 50, it says, Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed for this in for this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal must be clothed with immortality when this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal is clothed with immortality then the saying that it is then the saying that is written will take place death has been swallowed up in victory death has been swallowed up in victory death where is your victory death where is your sting your sting now the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ we will also go through a spiritual transformation the bodies we have now will not be the same bodies we will have in God's glory when we're in heaven. These, we're, we're told that these are also just mere tents, that our bodies are like seeds. 
these bodies are wasting away. But what the glory that awaits us, the glory that's waiting for us in heaven, is far more superior, is far more better than what we, what we are now. On that day, our transformation will be complete. And not only will we be with Jesus, not only will we be with him, but we will also be like him. Listen carefully to what John wrote in 1 John chapter 3. He says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Yes, we also will go through a transformation process. That's something we have to look forward to. As Jesus goes on in verse 4 and through verse 8, Actually, in verse 4, we're then told that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and almost like in the blink of an eye, Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, again, I, this is a, I try to imagine a sight, and it's a, my imagination sometimes goes wild, but man, what a sight to see. You have Jesus in his full glory, and all of a sudden you see Elijah and Moses standing there with him, talking to him. Man, what would it have been like to hear what that conversation, what that conversation was, was about? Now, besides the religious and social aspects that makes Jews uniquely different than other groups of people, their history, you gotta understand their history is just as important in their Jewish identity. Two of the most prominent figures in that history are Elijah and Moses. Now Elijah is known as a, a historical representation of the prophets, and Moses is known as a historical representation of the law. Now here's an important fact. The fact that these two people were now associating themselves with Jesus confirms that the entire Mosaic law and the prophecies of the prophets pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. Wow. Again, the fact that they were, they were associating with him, talking to him like, yeah, this, Jesus is the one. He is, he is it. Now Mark here only tells us that Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus. But if you're wondering what they were talking about. Luke 9.29 Luke 9, says that they were speaking about his death, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. This is also significant because according to Hebrews chapter 11, Jesus' death was a fulfillment of what they looked ahead to. All these prophets... Everybody that ever lived during this Old Testament time, Moses, again, Elijah, every single prophet that lived, they looked forward to this day, to the day that Jesus was going to die. That's why they did what they did. They had faith. They knew something greater was going to happen. And again, not just Moses and Elijah, but all those other people that are mentioned in the Hall of Faith, 
in Hebrews chapter 11. They looked forward to Jesus. They knew that the Messiah was going to come. Well, from there we're told that we're told at the end of verse 6 that these three disciples were terrified. And in this state of shock, in this state of terror that they were in, seeing Jesus and Elijah and Moses there, in that state of shock, Peter blurts out the first thing that comes to mind. He says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, if you don't know what a tabernacle is, it's a temporary tent that kept in something sacred, something holy. So in other words, Peter was saying, Jesus, this is awesome, this is great that we're here. Let's, let's let, give me permission, let, let's go make three holy houses for the three of you. Let me make a holy house for Moses, let me make a holy house for Elijah, let me make a holy house for you. And what he was actually doing was he was essentially putting Jesus in the same plane as the law and the prophets. And as we know by now, Jesus is far more superior to that. He is the completion of the law. And he is what, again, what the prophets spoke about. He is who the prophets were pointing to. Now here's one of those instances where I can relate to Peter. Now, I've definitely have said some really dumb, dumb things without thinking about them. I've said some, I've said some really stupid things as well without thinking about it. I mean, I've, I've been there. I know what that's like. If you don't believe me, you can talk to my wife afterwards, and she could probably tell you. She could probably tell you about some of the things I've said without thinking about it, some of the things I've done without thinking about it. If, but if you do talk to her, make sure you tell her when I'm not around because it's just going to be embarrassing. Um, but the thing is, I bet, I bet I'm not alone. How many times have you said things without thinking about it, without thinking twice about it, without just you acted impulsively or, or you've said something completely just without actually meaning it? Thing is, we, get, we often get into trouble when we speak like Peter, not knowing what to say, or when we speak out of fear. When you find yourself in a situation where God is trying to show you something, the best thing to do is to stay silent and just wait. Let me say that again. When you find yourself in a situation where God is trying to show you something, the best thing to do is stay silent and just wait. Don't act on your feelings or say the first thing that comes to mind. When you do that, you risk the lesson, you risk losing the lesson that God is trying to show you. When you act impulsively, you also run a danger of a dangerous risk of contradicting God. Just because it seems or it feels right, it doesn't mean that it's right for Him. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way 
to death. Now I have to clarify something. I have to be clear and I have to say that in this situation, Peter spoke from his boldness and his enthusiasm. And I do. I think the church needs more of that. However, boldness and enthusiasm, boldness and enthusiasm is far more beneficial when it's spirit led. When it's when we're led by the spirit and not when it's self-led. Not when our flesh leads us to be bold. So as soon as done, so, so, sorry, as soon as Peter is done speaking this nonsense, as soon as he's done just, you know, speaking, putting his foot in his mouth, God interrupts him before he makes another mistake. And how does he interrupt him? We see in verse, we see in verse right here, verse 7. That a cloud appeared. A thick cloud appeared and envelops all of them. And then they hear an audible voice say, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Again, I'm asking you to try to picture that in the head. A cloud, a thick, heavy cloud envelops them. And in a loud voice says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And just like that, the cloud was gone, and the only one standing there in front of in front of Jesus, in front of them was Jesus. Do you think it was clear what God was trying to tell them? Do you think it was absolutely clear? The last time God did something similar to this was right after John the, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Do you guys remember that? In this situation, God was reaffirming the fact that Jesus was his one and only son. And his words are far more superior than all those who spoke for God in the Old Testament. So not only does Jesus have the authority as God's son to speak on, his, on behalf of God, no one else can come close in comparison to him. So Jesus, again, just to reiterate, when this cloud was enveloping them and God said, this is my beloved son, he's saying, there's no one greater than him. Than him. Listen to what he's saying, this is my son. He has the words of life. He will guide you. He will comfort you. He listen to what he has to say. Don't listen to you know what these religious leaders have to say. Don't listen to what those scholars have to say. Listen to my son. I love him. And he has the authority to speak for me. Again, I, I just think that tells us a lot about who God is. As again, verse, as we continue in verse 9, as they were coming down this mountain, Jesus tells them not to say anything about what they saw until the Son of Man rises from the dead. Now, he was, when he talked about the Son of Man, 
And when you see that throughout the Bible, he was talking, to, he was referring to himself as the Son of Man. But why? Why do you think he had to tell them? Why do you think he had to say, don't tell anybody about this? The thing is, he knew that, that what these disciples had just witnessed, what they had just seen, would be more understood after he rose from the dead. It would, it would make more sense once he rose from the dead. And you know what? He was right. He was absolutely right because what, what do we see happening in the next, next verse? We see these three disciples talking amongst themselves, trying to figure out what Jesus meant. What did, you know, they were, what did Jesus mean by rising from the dead? The fact that they were talking about this confirms what Jesus, what Jesus was saying, why Jesus told them not to, not to say anything. He confirms why he didn't want them to say anything. Again, God, Jesus knew. It's going to take some, he knew it was going to take some time. So as they were walking, as they kept walking, again, they changed the topic and, and then turned their attention to Jesus and asked him a question. What about the religious scholars? What did the religious scholars mean when they said, Elijah must come first? The answer Jesus gives them is part explanation and part prophecy. See, these Jewish scholars, these scribes, believed that Elijah would return and prepare the people for the return of the Messiah. And still to this day, that's what Jews believe. They don't believe in Jesus. They believe that, you know, they don't believe he's, he's the Messiah. They're still waiting on the Messiah. But that... You know, Elijah or someone will come to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. That's the belief to this day. But what these scribes failed to see, what they didn't understand, was that he was, ex and what, he, what Jesus was explaining to them was that Elijah did come and prophesy about him and his mistreatment. And we see that in Malachi chapter 4. In the Old Testament, we're told that, again, that, that this is what happened. Elijah did come. He did, he did come. He was here back, you know, he was in, in, in Israel, and he did preach to the Jewish people. But they just didn't believe him. He did prophesy. He did prepare the way for Jesus. He did say that the Messiah was going to be mistreated but they just didn't believe it. Jesus was also giving them a prophetic glimpse of the future when Elijah will physically come and proclaim to the nation of Israel the truth about Jesus Christ. In, Revelations chapter, in Revelation chapter 11, we're, we're given a picture during the end of days, during that time of tribulation, that two witnesses will come and just preach the gospel. And preach about Jesus Christ. And people will come to know him. People will come to know Jesus Christ. But at the same time, they will be hated. They will be persecuted. They will even be killed. And in the story, later on in the story, we're told that God raises him up from the, from the dead. For everyone to see. 
and then they're taken up to heaven. Now, I believe, like a lot of other scholars, that one of those witnesses is going to be Elijah. You see, Elijah never died. Elijah was one of those, there was two figures that I know for, for a fact that didn't die in the Bible. One of them was Enoch in Genesis, and the other one was Elijah. And I, th I believe I mentioned him last week, or the week prior, but he was taken up, into, he was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. He never died. So according to, to what, you know, what we see here, it could be that this person, that one of these two witnesses is Elijah, will be Elijah that will come back and talk about Jesus. And why not? It makes sense. He's there, right there, that transfiguration, talking to Jesus, talking about his death. He meets him personally, and why not? Why not him? I mean, it, it makes sense that he would talk about someone that he knew personally, that he talked to personally. Again, I think that this is, again, a picture of what, you know, of future events, that Elijah will come and prepare the people of Israel for Jesus, for Christ's second coming. Now, as I, as I begin to close, I mentioned earlier that one day we will also see Jesus Christ in that same exact glory that the disciples had seen. We don't know exactly when that day will come. Nobody does. Anybody who claims to tell you, I know the exact date and time of Jesus' return is only fooling you, is only lying to you. Don't believe that person. In fact, run f as far away and as fast as you can away from that person because nobody knows. But in the meantime, we still must live as though he may come at any second. I read to you that passage from 1 Corinthians, and it says, in a twinkling of an eye, it can happen this moment, this very instant, and a second from now, it can happen tomorrow, it can happen, are you ready for that? Are you ready for when Jesus does come and takes us home to be with him? Whether it is in death, or whether it is in the rapture. Are you ready? We're told. Jesus tells us to watch. To watch and be ready for when it does. For when it does. Because no matter how long it takes, he will come. I mean, it'll be soon. But we have to, we have to keep an eye out for that. We must be ready for when it does. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do? In the meantime, we must continue to hold on to the promises of Jesus. Did you know that before Jesus died on the cross, he said this, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. 
If not, I would have told you. I'm going, to, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be, you may be also. So continue to hold on to those promises of Jesus. Also, in the meantime, we must continue to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from within to prepare us for that moment. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, and he starts to transform you. He starts to transform you from within, And your perceptions, the way you look at the world, the way you look at people will begin to change, will begin to take shape. You will begin to see people as Jesus sees them. No matter how bad or how wrong they've done things, no matter what they've, you know, whether it was it's a co-worker or a, a school worker, or, you know, someone you go to school with. Or whether it's someone close to you. That Holy Spirit changes the way you see them. And no longer will you see them with the, the way, I mean, with the vision of the world, with, with um, hatred and contempt. But you will start seeing them with love and compassion. So in the meantime, we must allow the Holy Spirit to do that. Another thing, in the mean, another thing we can do in the meantime is we must continue to wait patiently for Jesus's for Jesus's promise to return and not lose hope in that. Second Peter chapter 3 says the Lord does not delay does not delay his promise as some understand delay but is patient with you not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. He's patiently waiting. Well I mean yes he's He's, if you think and if you believe he's taking too long, there's a reason he's taking so long in returning. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want, he wants those believers who have walked away. He wants those believers that have backslidden to come back to repentance, to come back to him. He's patiently waiting. For those to come back home. He doesn't want any of them to perish. Another thing we can do in the meantime is, is that we must continue to endure trials, persecutions, hardships, and maybe even death. As James chapter 1 tells us, a man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test he will receive the crown of life that God is that God has promised to those who love him and those are some of the things you can do in the meantime so as you continue to hold on to those promises as you continue to hold on to that inner transformation as you continue to hold on to that hope and patience and the endurance of every trial and hardships, 
of, and hardship, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the cross, who, as Hebrew says, is the author and finisher of your faith. He will keep you. He will hold you. And yes, one day you're going to see his glory. One day you will be up in heaven. And you're going to see him in the same way the disciples saw him. I mean, I've seen some artwork, some pictures that are there. And, and I think it doesn't give it, it's, it's a good representation, but it's not, it doesn't accurately depict I think what the disciples saw and what we will see when we see him face to face. Man, what a wonderful, glorious day that'll be. I don't know about you, but I'm so looking forward to it. My, my heart definitely like leaps up for joy when I think about that day. Because I think about, I also think about where I was six years ago, where I was seven years ago, in the midst of, of the, 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 my alcoholism, in the midst of just the, the pain I was putting my family through. And to see where I'm at now, and to know that it was all God, and to know that it was all Jesus, and to know now that I have a future with him. I have an eternal future. It's just glorious. And again, it just, it makes me want to fall down on my knees and worship him. He's already transformed me. He's, he is, he's already transformed me. He is transforming me. And I know that a day will come where he will finally physically transform me as well. Again, that's what I look forward to. Now, in a minute, we're going to partake in communion together as a church family. But before we do, it's important to you understand what communion signifies. This small cup and wafer that's inside is a representation of Jesus' body and blood. It signifies that you understand what Jesus, crossed, what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. It signifies that He is your Savior and the Lord of your life. It signifies that you associate with every aspect of His life, death, and resurrection. And it also signifies the promise that he has given us, that we will be with him for all eternity. Communion is meant to be participated among believers who understand its meaning. If you're not a believer and if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll have an opportunity to do that in a minute. But if you are, if you are a believer, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says that you must examine yourselves before eating and drinking in order to see if your hearts are in the right place. 
Again, in a minute, I will, I will pass these communion cups and I will ask you to take a minute. I will ask you to take a minute to reflect on its significance and meaning for you. And during this time, and even if you're, if you're later on watching this video on YouTube or one of the other channels, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, and you're ready to do that, you just have to pray the simple prayer. Lord, forgive me for my sins. I know that you died on the cross for me, and I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me and my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, and I surrender my life to you. simple prayer is that all you have to do is ask Jesus to come into your heart and pray that with a sincere heart if you are a believer and have been struggling with sin take this minute to ask for forgiveness and make your, right, make your heart right with God whatever it is that you've done no matter how far away you've walked no matter how bad you've blown it, He will forgive you in His love and compassion for you. He will forgive you. Jesus died for every single one of your sins. And there's nothing, there's absolutely not a single thing that you can do that can remove that, that can take that away. So again, I'm going to pass these cups. And I'm going to give you, again, some time just to, to reflect, to meditate, to think about its significance. God, thank you again for giving us this ordinance of communion. for reminding us of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. For giving us an opportunity to partake in this supper, in this family meal. Lord, we know that other churches and other Christians worldwide are celebrating the same thing, Lord. And we, we do, we, we just, we are honored that we have that same opportunity. God, thank you again for bringing your son, for establishing him. Lord, we want to listen to him. We want him to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. Give us the strength, Lord. Give us the strength for those times, during those times we are weak. During those times we just, it's difficult for us to love. It's, that it's difficult for us to, 
to just treat others with love and compassion. Give us the strength to endure during trials and during persecutions. Help us to understand that nothing this world throws at us can compare to the amazing and wonderful glory that awaits us. You alone are God. You alone are our Savior. Meet us where we're at, Lord, and just continue to transform us from within. Make us more into the image of your Son. Bless this day, Lord. Bless this time. May we just enjoy each other's company. May our conversations be fruitful. May they be a blessing. And may we just be a blessing as we after we leave this, this room as well, Lord. May everyone outside these, these walls see Christ in us. Watch over our families. Watch over our friends. Lord, come soon. We love you and we adore you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.